good evening and good afternoon. It feels good to be here and good to be back. And back where you might say, I mean, all this week, talking about video games, comic books, to people who really do not understand the love that I have for this, and now I'm here talking to you guys. So we're gonna go ahead and get started with good old comic books and my god, Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants. I gotta say, I didn't think they could top the last issue, but here we are and everything is coming to a close because we're starting this year off in thousand years since Sinister messed up everything. So a little background, Ironfire is now the last king of the storm system. And what the storm system is, is basically an area of space that hasn't been conquered by the Quiet Council, ruled by different people with Ironfire seemingly being the last king. And now he has made a deal with basically Sinister to revive Storm. Sinister injects Storm's DNA into an egg and then they do their ceremony with, uh, I believe, Korra basically putting her power, Sinister also putting Hope's powers so they're able to do the ritual as before and they are able to revive a Storm. Now, the difference between this Storm and the other revivals is that she has no memory of the previous Storm. She has what basically Ironfire put into her, so like personality traits, a sense of honor, but that's it. Now, while this is happening, uh, Emma Frost and her Legion are basically going to the storm system and attacking. Sinister asks for payment for basically allowing Storm to be brought back to life, and the payment is Dor's death, which is at the center of the sun. But Ironfire says no. The council has stated that that door should never be open. And now the alarms are going off because Emma Frost is attacking and now everyone's going to their battle stations to defend the storm system. Korra ends up coming with them. And if you guys don't remember who Korra is, she is the person who boosts uh, someone's ability, their power. And that was what Storm did when she basically helped them and died in the previous issue. So now Emma's forces are basically destroying everything in her path and it's absolutely insane. Also, she goes to the head of her ship and it basically transforms into a transformer. And I'm not lying, it ironically looks like the transformer from Spaceballs. So whoever drew this definitely had some really fun inspiration. Now, Storm is helping the good fight, but she notes that she doesn't have any good experiences. She has her instincts, but she asks that, oh, not really asks, she really says that experience would be really good. Korra notes that she can have hers. And you know what happens? She basically does the trick they did before, and because Storm is much younger, she can handle all that power compared to her much older counterpart. Now, when Korra boosts Storm, she basically gives her everything, almost draining her of her powers where she could barely hold a sword. Now, in a very weakened state, Korra continues to fight until one of her friends gets injured and she, along with him, gets vaporized. Storm uses her power to confront Emma and with a very powerful lightning attack, she blows the ship apart and it's described in the comic as the power being released is raw electrons 
all torn directly from the covalent bonds connecting atoms and carbon bonding. And if you got an A in science and know exactly what I'm talking about, congratulations. For the rest of us who basically failed science, she basically, with all that mumbo jumbo, created a nuclear force. Some were spared, but others, like Storm, was not. Because remember, she doesn't have the experience, so she was not able to block the radiation. And because of that, her body was badly radiated and burned. She ends up dying once again, and in this time in Ironfire's arms, as he comforts her, that she gave everybody a chance to survive. She ends up dying, Sinister, pointing a laser gun he took from a Doombot to Ironfire, pulls the trigger, and the comic ends with really interesting poetry. And this is uh, how the poetry grows. And I quote, Sing to me, O poets, your final song, the song of the end. End quote. And I gotta say, that was actually some pretty good stuff. I actually tried to look it up to see if... um. Al Ewing, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name, took it from somebody, but he didn't. It seems like he legitly made that poem by himself. And I gotta say, if he ever retires from comics, this dude would be an excellent poet. Seriously, that was some pretty good stuff for a comic book. Anyway, I'll give this issue a 10 out of 10. It was amazing, and it sets up what's to come. I mean, we all know what's gonna happen when Sinister kills the clone, but we won't know what the aftermath of everything is, who's going to retain their memories, or if any, because I really doubt they're going to do this entire thing without someone remembering how much Sinister really screwed up. I mean, they could, but it would suck. Anyway, that's it for The Storm and the Brotherhood. We're moving on to Predator issue number two. So, when we last left off with our heroes, or, you know, soldiers uh basically we find that they are moving around the forest trying to avoid the predators the predators find their missing kin that was killed in the previous issue and he's basically given the respect and burial and then they blew him up of course in lieu of tradition because apparently that's how predators are supposed to go blown up hey i don't write the rules but that's actually kind of cool so now the survivors see another transport ship carrying more aliens no not exomorphs Onto the planet. The two who saved the group previously explain that it's actually 2062 and confirm that the Predators do not have time traveling capabilities. The two people are horrified that the Predators are basically keeping people on ice from different time periods to hunt them. But note that the Predators choosing who gets defrosted doesn't make much sense. And the reason they say that is because one... The soldiers or the people do not know each other, so they're severely at a disadvantage because none of them trust each other. None of them know exactly what the other can do, their specialty, and they may or may not be able to work with each other. And they note that. Uh, one of the two says that they're mostly wanting, and this is a theory he states, to fight against various different fighting styles at once. And notes that basically, hey... They're wanting to do this, similar to actually the Predators movie. They want them to work together and see what the outcome may be. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but it gives the Predator a mixed bag. One of the guys actually notes that 
the way they pick their targets is odd because the dude says he's not from a war. He's not a soldier. He's a brawler who stops bar fights, which is actually kind of interesting because it's like, huh, what did this guy do to make the Predator think this guy would be a good candidate? Actually makes you really think. I hope they really explore that aspect. Anyway, they all end up traveling to a ship that the two had been on to get to the planet and they decloak it and tell them all to get in. Before they can, they are ambushed by a predator. One of the group is killed, which leads to Theta, the group person who killed the predator previously, to gear up in her humanoid predator outfit. Humanoid, humanized, whichever. Anyway, it's basically armor made for a predator, made for a human. And she fights the predator head on, which is impressive. The other guy tries to get the others to get on the ship. One of them goes on the ship, but instead of waiting for it, hacks it because apparently it's using the same system that he used to use, and plus it's an old ship, so he knows how to work with it, and begins to take off. The guy yells at Theta that the guy is stealing his ship. But here's the problem with that. You're fighting a predator, and someone distracts you with something like that is extremely stupid. If I'm fighting to the death against a predator, don't say anything to distract me. And here's why, because the guy distracted her long enough for the predator to take advantage and cut off her arm. Defeated, she goes on her knees and tells the predator to do it. Out of nowhere, the aliens from before arrive, and that's how the comic ends. Now, I hate how they ended it because I wanted to know what happens, and you know what, that's a good thing. <laughs> It's not really a bad thing, but still, I really like how they're coming to question why the Predators choose the people that they do to kidnap. Because like I said, in the movie Predators, when they're on the planet, most of them are soldiers, some of them are gangsters, Yakuza, and of course you had a serial killer. But it makes things interesting, like why would the Predators choose people that are not their squad? Maybe they think that a mixed bag will do them good? Compared to maybe like Arnold Schwarzenegger where their squad trusted each other and still got wiped out. Who knows? But like I said, I really liked how they're building upon the lore. I liked how you're getting to know these people and making you care for them and where they eventually will either die or live. So a really good comic. I'm really glad what Disney is doing with them. And I really can't wait for them to fight the aliens again. Because the alien comic books are really good too. Anyway, uh, that's it for Marvel. We're moving on to DC. And we're going to be talking about Superman Lost issue number two. And it all starts with Lois and Bruce talking about a political candidate being clean. Bruce asks how Clark is doing. And Lois asks him, what does he think? Lois hangs up on Bruce and tells Clark to breathe. He says that he didn't realize that he wasn't because of how much he'd gotten used to holding his breath. Lois tells him that she's going to work and Clark tells her that it's not Bruce's fault that he got trapped in space for 20 years. She says she knows and she knows whose fault that is exactly. The scene ends up switching after Clark is stranded into space and these little reddish pink aliens pop in and think that they can scrap the space degree for some cash, which is actually kind of funny. Anyway, then they see Superman and pick him up he wakes up and they're able to translate the English language somehow without Clark even talking. And they tell Clark that they made an artificial environment and it's okay to breathe. He does so and then he faints. 
And then the scene shows that the scientist says, wait, I mixed up a translation. I think I accidentally put carbon dioxide. So they basically gave Superman carbon dioxide poisoning. I found that hilarious. After Clark wakes up, after them putting oxygen instead, he tells them that he's from Earth and they basically explain what happens. They don't believe him because they're like, oh, you can't be this invincible person. But anyway, they take him to what they say is Earth and ask for 32 credits. Clark says he has no money and then they ask for his cape. He says he can't and they dump him on the planet. Why Clark didn't say, I know a guy who may be able to pay you, don't know. But anyway, he quickly realizes that he's not able to fly because of the gravity and this planet has two moons and it's not the third planet from the sun. So it's basically not Earth. He notes that also that because of the gravity difference with the two moons, he can't fly as easy as before. He feels like there's a truck on top of him. And after a landing on the planet, uh, these people start scavenging around him. He grabs one of them asks him his name and the boy says a weird name that sounds similar to Jimmy but it isn't it's spelled differently anyway after Superman adjusts himself to the new gravity he flies around the planet and notes that they have oxygen and that it's somewhat similar to earth except you have somewhat humanoid beings and alien humanoid beings he gets to this place where it's very green and he meets a man named Victor uh, Superman explains his story and notes that the area he's in is much better than when he first landed. Victor says that there has been fighting and the world has been at war with its two species. Superman asks why two species can't live in harmony and Victor asks if, if basically planet Earth would be different and Superman doesn't respond because yeah we already know what would have happened. Anyway Victor leaves him with some equipment to fly home and tells him that the problem of this planet are way too much for him to fix and besides it's not his home he wouldn't understand what's going on and before leaving Victor had told him he didn't come up with a name for this place and he tells Victor that he would call this area Kansas and Superman heads out for Earth and that's how the comic ends and honestly I really like where they're going with this uh, it's really interesting how they're taking their time with the comic Showing that Superman isn't like, oh, I'm back after 20 years. Let me kick off where I left off. And it's kind of showing how he's acting. He's acting more recluse. And I'm wondering how that's going to transfer for when we see him interacting with the real world. Because for the first two issues, we only see him interacting with Lois and Bruce. And he hasn't gotten out of the apartment. So when he actually goes to the real world again, I'm very curious on how he's going to react with anything. If he's going to be more aggressive. Who knows? I'm super excited to see what happens next issue. And God, if Lex Luthor messes with him and he's a lot more angrier, rip. Anyway, that's it for comics. We're going to be moving on for TV shows. First off, I want to talk about John Wick. And yes, I know this is TV shows, but John Wick has announced and released a teaser for the new show, Continental. And it's going to be about a young Winston entering the Continental for the first time and basically letting the adventure continue. And I gotta say, I'm super excited because one, John Wick is an amazing movie series and I cannot wait to see how all of this started with Winston. And two, it's taking place in the 70s. So we already know things are gonna be absolutely crazy. 
So I don't know if it takes place in the early 70s, late 70s, mid 70s. If it's taking place early 70s, then we'll still see the aftermath of what? The Vietnam War, Nixon's still in office. So got some really good writing material for the time period. And again, I'm excited to see anything John Wick. And of course, Winston has always been a very interesting character. So I can't wait to see what's to come. Speaking of prequels, actually, no, this wouldn't be a prequel. This would be a sequel of sorts. And this is The Penguin. Yup. Colin Farrell is back playing the Penguin and showing the rise of power after the events of the Batman. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is going to be eight episodes and it's going to be a miniseries. So I really doubt there's going to be a season two per se. But here's the also interesting thing. This is going to take place a week. Yes, a week after the events of the Batman. So it's going to kind of bridge the gap between the Batman and the sequel, who we may or may not see a superpowered villain, which would be really cool. Because honestly, besides what, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy, we really haven't seen a superpowered villain at all. Wow, I actually, yeah, what? And Bane was in that movie? So yeah, I mean, The Dark Knight Rises didn't have any superpowered villains and... Okay, maybe the Justice League, but that wasn't really, what, a Batman movie? Huh, interesting. Anyway, uh, where was I? Yes. So, basically, it's gonna bridge the gap, and I can't wait. Especially since they released the cast. Now, I don't know if Robert Patterson is going to make an appearance. I believe he will, because it would make sense. But, here's the people already confirmed. You have Clancy Brown, Christina Mitalonti. Oh, God, I butchered that last name. Milotti? Milioti? Okay, I'm gonna just stop trying to announce it or pronounce it. And many more, and of course, you have Colin Farrell, who does an excellent job as the freaking Penguin. So I can't wait to see him return as well. But if you're a big Batman fan and Matt Reeves left you with an itch that you can't wait for, here you go, 2024, and this is on top of the GCPD show that we're getting as well. So I can't wait for the teaser for that. Anyway, moving on. The Creature Commandos has been releasing its full cast announcement and it's stacked. Really, really stacked and I love it. I love the cast already. And starting off, you have Frank Grillo as Rick Flag Sir, which will be very interesting because he's playing Rick Flag's father. So if the Suicide Squad is made canon, the James Gunn one, I wonder what his reaction will be to hearing about his son's death at the hands of Peacemaker. And I really hope he's treated a lot better than he was with Crossbones under, of course, the MCU, who I think was very underutilized. But again, I can't wait to see how he plays Rick Flagg. Sir, I really like Frank Grillo. I think he's a fantastic actor. Another person is Ivana Verna will be playing the Bride of Frankenstein. David Harbour is going to play Frankenstein, which is going to be interesting since he's already playing a character in the MCU who's set to appear in Thunderbolts, an upcoming MCU film coming out next year. So I don't know if this is a hint of what will happen to his character since Thunderbolts is kind of like the Suicide Squad of the MCU. So who knows? But again, I'm super excited to see David Harbour and stuff. Another person which I'm really excited to see is Alan Tudyk is going to play Dr. Phosphorus, which is already a win. I love Alan Tudyk. He's an amazing 
amazing actor and he does all these crazy roles. I remember watching a video of him in Moana and he's like, I went to Juilliard and I'm voicing a chicken. <laughs> oh God, he's such a great actor. I can't wait. Sean Gunn is returning to play as the weasel and is going to play GI robot. I'm not going to lie. I was super surprised that I didn't see Michael Rooker in this, but I mean, he kind of, his character died, but I mean, let's be honest, him voicing GI robot wouldn't have made a bit much of a difference. But again, Sean Gunn is really funny. My sisters loved him in Gilmore Girls. So I can't wait to see his interpretation of GI robot. Maria Biklova. And if you're wondering why do I know that name? It's because she played Borat's daughter. And she's going to be playing Princess Elena Rostovic, who is a new character. And Steve Agee is returning as John Economos from Peacemaker and the Suicide Squad movie. So I'm very curious to see how he's going to have to explain to Rick Flag Sir about his son. Oh, God, that's hilarious. <laughs> Especially since he's good friends with Peacemaker. Oh, my God. And... Of course, Amanda Waller signs him to this team. Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. I cannot wait to see this. And here's the best part. All these actors and actresses in this animated series will be playing their real life counterpart. So already a win. And I'm really hoping they do kind of like an anime style animation because that would be really cool. But we'll see what happens. And I'm just praying to God they don't do really bad CGI. But like I said, We'll see what happens and we're going to be moving on. Harry Potter is coming back with an all new TV series. Yes. And here's the interesting part. JK Rowling is going to be a producer and is going to, of course, probably have the casting final say and a bunch of other stuff like she did when they came out with the movies. Now, I was very surprised to hear about this especially since for what seems like a few years now, WB has been trying to distance themselves from JK Rowling, from changing the name from Quidditch to a bunch of other stuff. So, and especially with the controversy surrounding her. So I guess that for anything new Harry Potter, they still had to have her and because of copyrights, but anything. But I'm super excited to see a new Harry Potter TV show. This will be great for a new generation. I feel old saying that since I grew up watching Harry Potter, but here's the interesting part. Each season will take place within one year of the book. So this will be a multi-season show and we'll be able to grow up with the actors and actresses. God, I feel old. Harry Potter wasn't that long ago. Why are you rebooting it? Uh, so this is what my father feels like sometimes. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, that's uh, that's basically what's happening with Harry Potter. Uh, if you guys are a big fan of True Detective, True Detective is coming back with Jodie Foster as the main character. And she's going to chase a serial killer in Alaska. So it's, of course, with a, uh, True Detective, each season you have a new characters, new season, new surroundings, and all that good stuff. And this season is going to be named Night Country. And I'm really hoping it's going to be interesting and good because so far, no season has been able to top the first one with, of course, Woody Harrelson and, of course, Matthew McConaughey. Again, no season has been able to top that. So I'm excited to see where this goes and I'm hoping it's a good one. Uh, one thing also, a TV show that has been greenlit and I hope it's a good one 
because it's going to apparently take place in the Conjuring universe. And we don't know anything else besides that, that a TV show has been greenlit for this. And I gotta say, if you would have told me 10 years ago that The Conjuring was gonna have its own universe, I wouldn't have believed you. And it's expanding, making new monsters and stuff like that, talking about the ghosts. And if you would have told me it was gonna do better than DC, I wouldn't have believed you either. But here we are. Speaking of things that have been greenlit, a new Game of Thrones prequel called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms has been confirmed which will take place 90 years before Game of Thrones. So this will take af place after House of the Dragon. So it will be based on a book with the same title. And I'm curious to see where it goes. I really am because the Targaryens are still in power. So we'll see how it balances it. I'm actually curious to see who will be jumping in on this. Because I feel like what House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones have already taken a lot of good actors. So people who haven't showed up in Game of Thrones, I'm really curious to see who they cast. But anyway, on an interesting lighter note, m the trailer for Muppets Mayhem has been released and my god, I already love it. It actually looks like a good show. The Electric Mayhem will be recording their first album and they get swooped up with the times trying to change their music. And it looks like it's going to be predictable, but you know what? It's been so long since we've had a Muppet show of anything. So I'm excited to see where they're going to take this. And of course, I'm always a sucker for the Muppets. It already looks like it's going to have some good cameos. And I just hope it's good. Anyway, the trailer for Star Wars Visions has been released. And oh my god, is it amazing. I mean, what we're getting, claymation, stop motion, 2D, CGI, so many different styles. And with the stories they're about to t tell, oh, I cannot wait for May the 4th. Please come faster. It's going to be an awesome day. And I can't wait for it to release. Anyway, that's it for TV shows. We're going to be moving on to movies. The new trailer for The Marvels has been released. And I got to say, it actually looks good. And the trailer shows that for some reason, Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel, and Miss Marvel's powers has been intertwined. So whenever one of them uses their powers, they basically end up switching places with that person. And it's at random. So I'm very excited to see how this dynamic is going to happen. And the trailer kind of looks very lighthearted. It actually shows that it's going to give Captain Marvel some emotions broaden her horizon so i'm excited about that because captain marvel hasn't been the most well-liked character and i guess marvel hasn't really known what to do with her so i'm excited they're giving this the opportunity and seemingly captain marvel's last chance to be well-liked because they originally wanted her to be the replacement for steve rogers and lead the avengers but no one really likes her or the actress but hopefully this will showcase uh, Brie Larson's ability to woo the stage. I will say this, the person who I think is going to take the entire movie away and woo us is Miss Marvel. Because there was this scene, and it was really good, where uh, Captain Marvel's cat, I forgot what the name of that thing is, is basically eating these guards. Miss Marvel sees this happening and starts to scream, terrified. I loved it. It was so funny. It was hilarious. So, I mean, like I said, I really hope that they keep this energy up and it's, it's, I really hope it's good. I really do. Because after the somewhat disappointing aspect of Ant-Man and the Wasp, they need a win. 
I already know that Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be that win, but they need another win, especially with Captain Marvel. Anyway, moving on, and still talking about Disney, the new trailer for Peter Pan and Wendy has been released. And I gotta say, it looks very generic. I, oh my god, how many Peter Pan movies are there going to be? Because it seems like everybody is making a live action. I think we've gotten, what, four different types of Peter Pan movies in the past 10 years? I mean, the only really good live action was Hook. And I don't get it. Maybe all these guys decide to make their own version of Peter Pan. And I guess they all got released in a 10-year period. But honestly, I don't see anything different from this movie that hasn't been already been set. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully it's good, but not really a movie I'm super excited about. But anyway, moving on. I don't know if any of you have seen the new Mario movie, but oh my god was it amazing. And don't worry, this is a non-spoiler review. First off, wow, the animation looks fantastic. Just seeing the Mushroom Kingdom, Bowser's Kingdom, the uh, Luigi's Mansion thing, that was really cool. The jokes were really funny. I liked how they had so many callbacks to the games. One of the callbacks, which I found hilarious, were these toads telling Mario, oh, Peach isn't in this castle. She's in the other one. I laughed so hard because I'm there like, oh my God, this is like the game. Anyway, the one thing that I loved also was the music. Wow. I recognized so many tunes that I was basically back as a kid. And it was a really great feeling. Basically able to hear the underwater music. Being at Princess Peach's castle on the N64 music, the Mario theme song. All of it was really good. And each character, I don't think there was a weak point for each character. The Peach was amazing. Toad was hilarious. Mario and Luigi were great. Donkey Kong. And who can forget Bowser? Jack Black is Bowser and he was fantastic. And I really hope this song Peaches wins an Oscar because that was just addictive. So like I said, I'm super excited to see how much Nintendo was able to expand upon Mario because they did a really good job with this movie and my dad loved it. And I love that he loved it because he's the person who introduced me to Mario and seeing that with him was just really great. And honestly, like I said, it's hilarious. Uh, there is two after credits and they're really good and I can't wait to see what they do with them. So yeah, Mario, amazing. 10 out of 10, would recommend it. I will definitely be doing a spoiler review in the next couple weeks just to give enough people time to watch it. And as of right now, it is the highest growing video game adaptation ever, movie-wise. So that's another good thing. And it's weird too. I don't understand why critics were criticizing this movie. Maybe, I don't know, Nintendo didn't give them a paycheck? Audiences loved it. It's always weird to see that dynamic. Anyway, that's it for movies. We're moving on to video games. First off, Ghostwire Tokyo is releasing a new free game update called Spider's Thread. And this will be adding new enemy types, side missions, a new game mode, and extended story cinematics and much more. And one thing I will say, Ghostwire Tokyo was definitely a weird game. An interesting game, but a weird one. And the studio giving free updates is always a good win. And I wonder if it's going to draw more people to the game. Now that it's like complete and it's got a bunch of new stuff. Who knows? Hopefully that happens because this studio went above and beyond for this. 
talking about studios that went above and beyond the trailer the third one actually for zelda tears of the kingdom has been released and it's amazing the look of ganon is terrifying and the worlds look stunning the trailer even did a fantastic job with hyping everybody up with using the original theme song and it was really cool zelda fans are super happy and i'm really hoping that this game is great and doesn't fall the same victim with basically pokemon violet because god if there's so many bugs in this nintendo is never going to hear the end of it anyway another game that's releasing that i didn't think was still a thing is bomberman yes super bomberman r2 is coming to all consoles and is going to be released september 12th again i didn't think this series was going to make a comeback heck i didn't even know it's 40 years old already they're adding a battle royale mode a castle battle mode where you defend and attack and again apparently this franchise is still popular enough to make a sequel so who knows maybe uh maybe they'll make the next nintendo movie bomberman <laughs> that'd be actually be interesting but anyway, moving on, Fortnite has released the skins for Attack on Titan, and Aaron Yeager looks fantastic. And of course, you have other characters as well. The one thing I will say that's kind of hard is maneuvering the gear. I mean, my god, it took me a while to get that right. Especially for the quest to unlock the Aaron? Good lord! I got killed at least 10 times before getting that thing down. Especially if you're in the open area. You know how many times I was in an open area, I got it and I got shot? I was like, how am I supposed to use this? There's no trees. Anyway, great uh, gear system. Aaron Yeager is fantastic. And I really hope you guys enjoy getting him as much as I did. <laughs> and if you got him the first try, I hate you already. Anyway, Diablo has showcased their new Rogue trailer for their upcoming Diablo 4 game. And wow, I see so many people excited. And how powerful this class actually is and their ability to use shadows. It's really cool and I like how they kind of make you a, you have a clone. But it's not really a clone. It's like an illusion. Anyway, super excited for Diablo 4 and can't wait to see what's going to happen with that. Uh, another game that has released and people are super disappointed with something is Redfall. And you know why people are disappointed? Because they capped the graphics at 30 FPS why like why would you cap it anything especially when it comes to the fps just don't cap it at 30 and it's crazy for them to do it because we have new consoles that are able to handle 60 able to handle even more especially those pc people you're kidding me they can handle god <laughs> those graphics are insane and you know why i think they capped it it's because they're too lazy to make sure their games can handle the higher graphics but who knows, it's their studio, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, Final Fantasy 16 trailer has released, and my god, I actually forgot how many gameplay trailers they release every time a new Final Fantasy comes out. I mean, the gameplay and the story look stunning, and I like how much detail they put into making their games. They're already showcasing the companions, the enemy types, where you can go to learn and train... I mean, like I said, Final Fantasy has always been amazing, and I got a friend who's super excited for 16. So hopefully they make it good, and Final Fantasy can reach for the stars. Speaking of reaching for the stars, Tom Clancy, Ubisoft of all people, has made a game which everybody is hyped with. Sure, I mean, it has some latency errors, but it's a beta. Who blames them? And that is X Defiant. And with the amount of, basically, traction it's getting on Twitter twitch heck 
even TikTok, it's getting all these people really wanting to play this. And it's a free FPS shooter. And it has different characters throughout their entire games and it's broken up into factions. So you have a few factions able to do different stuff. And one of the things that are getting people hyped for this game is you have different uh, streamers basically being able to play this closed beta. And if you watch their stream for long enough, they'll drop in the codes so you can join and play the game as well. This is a great way to do stuff because you're building the hype. And from what I've seen, it's a really fun game. And depending on your playstyle, you can pick different characters to do different stuff. And of course, I'm definitely gonna go for the Splinter Cell characters because I love Splinter Cell. But I'm really glad that Ubisoft are finally listening to the what the players want and doing exactly that. Because this is how you build hype for a game. And I honestly thought I'd never see that again for any Tom Clancy title. Anyway, super excited for them. Hopefully it's a great game when it releases and it's free. It's free. Anyway, that's it for video games. We're moving on to nerd theories. And this week on Nerd Theories, I have a speculation which people may or may not agree with, but honestly, with the evidence I've been shown, I really think the people who hate Harry Potter and are trying to cancel it are in a minority here. And you know why I think that is? It's because, think about it, all these people, oh, we're going to cancel Hogwarts Legacy, we're going to do this, and it sold over 12 million units. And here's the interesting part. It's not a live action, not live action, it's not a live service game. So I keep hearing arguments. Oh, how many people are still playing it? How many people have finished it? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't because it's not a live service game like The Avengers, where you have to have people constantly playing. Or it's not like, uh, what's the other live action? Not live action, live service. I don't know why I keep saying live action. Gotham Knights. You don't need people keep playing and playing it to keep it alive. And it's one of the most successful launch games ever. And then you had all these people on Twitch, Twitter, TikTok, bullying people who play this game. And you know what? It turns out they're in the minority. I guarantee it that this game being bought was the reason why they gave the green light for the upcoming TV show for Harry Potter. Because people are still fans of the games. People still want to play it. They still want to enter the world, and the people wanting to cancel it has been proven to be in the severe minority. Honestly, some of the people hating on the game, I don't think actually hate the franchise. They're just hating it to get attention. And I'm tired of them bullying people who actually like the world of Harry Potter. So I actually think, and again, this is just my opinion and my theory, is that these guys are in the severe minority. Like I said, they didn't stop 12 million units of being sold, so they gotta be in the minority or they're just really lazy. Anyway, that's it for my nerd theories. Moving on to current events. So in current events, and I will stress this a little, that this was posted on April 1st, but with the amount of hype it's gotten, I really, really hope that it's true. And apparently, Cartoon Network is putting a poll to see what their next 2025 special will be, and they got these crossover ideas from ChatGBT. And some of these ideas are really good. So they have a Flapjack and Adventure Time crossover, a regular show, Encourage the Cowardly Dog crossover, a Gumball and a Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends one, and also you got Ed, Ed and Eddie and Steven Universe, which is weird, Craig of the Creek and Kids Next Door, which really, really makes sense. It's crazy how much it makes sense. Total Drama Island and the original Teen Titans, which is interesting. Billy and Mandy and Scooby-Doo, 
which would be extremely interesting. And honestly, with them meeting Courage, oh God, the possibilities there. Bear, Bears, and Chowder. And yeah, those are about it. And I gotta say, they should do them all. But if they had to choose one, if they had to choose one, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go with Billy and Mandy with Scooby-Doo. But Gumball and Fosters is a close second. And of course, you have Courage and the regular show as a third. I'm a big Scooby-Doo guy, and with them with Billy and Mandy, it's gonna be super funny. You know what would be a really good crossover, though? And I've seen some of the, like, um, non-canon fan uh, service scripts for this. Samurai Jack and Johnny Bravo. That would make a killer, a killer crossover. But like I said, I'm hoping this is true. I know it was posted on April the 1st, but honestly, any of them would make a really good special. Okay, maybe not Edit and Eddie and Steven Universe. I think that would be weird. The Total Drama Island thing I can see working. That would actually be kind of funny. But anyway, that's it for current events. And yeah, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you guys next week. Sayonara. See you later. Have a blessed one. Goodbye. <laughs>